last week, we love because God first loved us. He's the one that initiated it. We love Jesus because Jesus first called and saves us. We love others because Jesus calls us to live for others, not for ourselves, to die to ourselves. And then, so how do I love myself? It's not by working harder, but it's by recognizing on the cross, the argument and the basis for my love has been settled. I am loved by God who gave his son. And so all of this, we recognize, where does this go to? And Jesus doesn't end there. The Bible doesn't say, now you are loved, now you have peace, now you're going to heaven, so do whatever you want. It doesn't end there. It actually is just the beginning. Uh, and so this is where today we talk about impacting the world. So before we continue, could you join me in prayer as we just let our hearts be open and for God to open us up to his word. God, in this morning, in this time together, may we have a perspective of you first. As you are the center and as you are the, the big pillar of cloud and the fire at night that led the Israelites for 40 years, may you be that light and guidance for our lives that even as the choir just sang, that no matter how dangerous or things may get, that we do not need to fear, for you are with us. You know our name, and you call us to where we need to be. And help us to live a life of courage and a glory of impacting this world for your name's sake, as you are already doing. We pray all these in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So I want to start with this. Uh, whenever we start talking about missions or impact in the world, um, here are some of the comments that we may get, thoughts that may come. And let me see if just this may resonate or not. Uh, when we think about missions or impacting the world, some people say, I should do it, but it's just too much energy. I don't know if I have the energy. Some people say, I, I can't do it. Let's leave it to the experts. You know, there's missionaries out there. There's pastors. Uh, some say, I'd like to do it. But, but who am I? I'm just, I'm just a little schlub in, you know, Cyprus. Um, and some people actually do this. I'm not doing it. So out of guilt, they just go out and do anything. And then you have some others who are like, let's do everything. Everything and anything we can do, we got to do it all. Now, I, I want to contend to you that all these are not the way God engages us to missions, through guilt, through obligation, uh, through, through just our own effort and energy and creativity. And so I want to just share this phrase that it's common in Bible studies and in our whole Bible, but God is inviting us into his work. That's the thought. God is inviting us into his work. Well, that should be refreshing for us because it's not like we're sitting in a session room thinking, what can we do for God? But God is already at work, and he's inviting every single one of his children that he knows by name to join him in his work. I don't know about you, but that already sounds so much better to me than I'm a Christian. I have to do this. And so there's this book that I've been reading, and I I just read it this week, and it's just, it just, just kept punching harder and harder. And I'm actually meeting the author of the book. He's one of the professors. It's called The Vertical Self. And listen to this title. The Vertical Self, How Biblical Faith Can Help Us Discover Who We Are 
in an age of self-obsession. <laughs> Who are you really in an age of self-obsession? And he basically, let me just summarize a whole book in this. He talks about there's two ways that everyone looks at themselves. It's either the horizontal view of themselves or the vertical view. And I'll share how this ties in with missions at the end. But here's a horizontal view of self. We turn other people around us, culture, community, into mirrors with one purpose, to tell us who we are. They are our audience, whereas people with a vertical sense of self look to their God-given identity to find a sense of self. Those with a horizontal sense of self can only hope that they will project the right image into the culture so they will receive the right messages back from their peers. In other words, people with horizontal self look to affirmation of people. Am I cool enough? Am I nice? Do you like me? Am I special? Did I do it good enough? Am I, am, I, is, am I fitting with the billboard? And so horizontal self, he's saying America is so obsessed with this that we look for value by what other people say. Nothing mind-blowing, but I like how he named it. So what's the vertical self? Next slide. People with a vertical sense of self look beyond their earthly lives. I'm going to say that again. Beyond their earthly lives. One more time. They look beyond their, oh, you don't have to repeat it, but I, I appreciate that. <laughs> their earthly lives to eternity. To eternity. They look to eternity to see the continued development of their identities. But the horizontal self is forced to look only at the temporary. Horizontal self-perspective people think this is what every energy ounce money values they live for. I live for my children. Well, good for you. How about you live for your children with an eternal perspective? Well, I live, you got to put food on the table. Good. How about you put food on the table as you look for an eternal perspective of all the people that can't put food on the table and what is God calling you into? So it shifts it from my world, what we call self-centered world, to a vertical sense of God's purpose. So uh, I'm not sure if I put this quote up there. Is there another one up there? Okay. Oh, it is up there. So we have convinced ourselves that all that matters is whether we are going to live with Jesus when we die. So for Christians, by the way, well, I must be vertical because I'm a Christian. Listen to this. We have convinced ourselves that all that matters is whether we are going to live with Jesus when we die. Another word is, all we care about is, am I going to heaven? Am I, going to, am I saved? Am I going to heaven? Okay, good. Thank God. Now I could do whatever I want. <laughs> Because I got my green pass, get out of jail card. But he goes on, that nothing about our souls really matter in this life. We have the Jesus Club membership card in our wallets to be pulled out in moments of danger or suffering, but the rest of the time we get on with having fun and running our own lives. Woo! Should we just have a repentance and altar call? I think we, I think we do. Because... That, my friends, in my minimal career as a pastor and in my life is a temptation that we all fall into. Evangelicals, know Jesus so if there's hell, you could go to heaven if you know Jesus. I believe that, but we've settled only for that. So as long as I go to heaven and as long as my grandma goes to heaven, as long as my brother goes to heaven, then I'm good. I could live my life any way I choose 
because I'm good. That is horizontal self. God has a truer, fuller perspective of life for you than just that. We have made that our own story in the American church that it's just about avoiding hell. So I, there's a lot of other things, but this book hit me upside the head. So how does, like, let me just expound it even more. So how does horizontal view of self affect in worship? So this is what it sounds like in worship. I don't go to church. I don't get anything out of it. Horizontal view. Why do they sing these songs? Horizontal view. Horizontal view is, I don't need to go to church. I worship in my car. Vertical view is, if God is God, I want to gather together in people who worship God. Right now, just, just as a side, do you realize people are risking their lives gathering in underground houses to worship and read the Bible, and if they get caught, they're dead. And in America, we're saying, well, well, I'm good. I'll go to worship when I can. I'm not giving guilt. I'm just giving perspective of looking at ourselves. We are so horizontal. And so in, in mission, this is where it comes in. When you look at mission in the horizontal self, then we say things like, who am I? I don't know what I'm doing. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too naive. I'm too stupid. I don't, I don't. We, we make up all these reasons. But what if we looked at mission with the vertical perspective of eternity? If you are God and there's an eternity, and I don't live for just this world, but there is a fullness of eternity that we all enter into one way or the other, how shall we live? And I bet it'll change us. And I wanted to share that thought with impacting the world. Um, PCUSA is our denomination. We have a constitution called the Book of Order. In the beginning of the Book of Order, it tells us why we exist. Why does this church exist? One of the ways that it's articulated is the six great ends of the church. Uh, you, this one, I invite you to read with me. Here's the first, ready? The proclamation of the gospel for the salvation of humankind. In other words, we believe without the gospel, we are doomed in our sin. So we believe in proclaiming a word, gospel, that Jesus Christ saved us from sin. Two, the shelter, nurture, and spiritual fellowship of the children of God. We believe in bringing, gathering together. Three, the maintenance of divine worship. We exist, sacrament of baptism, sacrament of Lord's Supper. We do this well. We proclaim the word clearly and truthfully. The preservation of the truth, meaning there are a lot of false truths, which is a lie, and we're going to fight as a church for truth. We don't just go, well, it's where the world is going. No, we have a truth, and we live to preserve it. Five, the promotion of social righteousness, meaning... If black people or yellow people are not allowed in church, we got a problem. And so this is one of the many ways, look around internationally, is there a yearning for this kind of righteousness? Six, the exhibition of the kingdom of heaven to the world. I love that one. You know what that means? When the world says, what does heaven look like? Can you imagine if we could say, go look at the church and how they live? and how they serve, and how they love, and how they adore Jesus. That's a glimpse of heaven. That's what that means. Isn't that incredible if we could say that? 
Isn't that incredible if we're fighting over, are we looking like the kingdom of God? Instead of, I wonder how long Jason's going to preach today. I wonder if lunch next week will be good. But what if we just were bothered with this idea that as a church, do we smell like the kingdom of heaven? So, the moment we confess Jesus Christ as Lord, I have news for you. You've been recruited into God's army, into his ministry, into his family to live out these great purposes of the church. And so this is what we're talking about today, that CPCLN, we exist to love Jesus, love others, saturate ourselves with the love that he has for us so, so that we can impact this world in a way that makes God shine even greater. And so, I want to take a look at today's text and just share ways that this is do possible today. Because I wanted to give a picture of how can every single one of you who profess Christ be part of God's ministry. So let's look at Acts chapter 8, 21, 40. Just a little backdrop. Jesus Christ died and he rose again. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says... You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and then you will be my witnesses from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. I am alive. I want to send you out, and you will proclaim this good news, that God is a God who has paid the price for your sins. So it's happening. And so one day, Philip is chilling I don't know, he's checking Facebook, Snapchat, he's whatever. Just, and then an angel comes and says, it's time. God has a message. Go down the south road, the desert road, the one that goes to Gaza and Egypt. Now, I notice how Philip doesn't ask questions. Notice how Philip doesn't go, what do we do for missions today? He was just waiting on the voice of God, and God intervened first. Some of you who are doing Rooted, in day one, John Stott quotes this. God, he always makes the first move. God will always make the... You didn't become Christian because you outwitted God. He always takes the initiative. And so with Philip, God took an initiative with him. And he said, Philip, go. And so God is... There, Henry Blackaby, uh, one, of the, one of my favorite authors, says this. When you pray, don't pray, God, what is your will for me? I, I pray that teenage years, 20 college years, you know, when you're looking for a major and job. God, what is your will for me? What is your will for me? And Blackaby nails it. He says, I got a better version of that question. You ready? Write this down if you put a tattoo on it. Better than... Asking God, what is your will for me? Ask God, what is your will? Period. Drop the for me part and just simply ask, since you're a God of initiative, I have a question for you, God. What is your will? And that's how Philip lived, because he saw the resurrection of Christ. And as he's waiting, God answers. And so God, Philip gets up and he starts going and he sees a little chariot and there's a Ethiopian in the distance with a driver and a cart and he's reading a Bible and the spirit says go, go near him. I love how he says go near him. So it's kind of like see something happening so it's like oh hey. 
because the Ethiopian was reading out loud. And, the, and, and then Philip just simply asked a natural question to make him less awkward. What are you reading? And the Ethiopian says, he's reading this verse, and he's like, I don't understand it unless someone explains it to me. And so this is what's going on. And then notice how this situation, it, was it a coincidence? Here's the second thing about missional living. God is already there. God is already there in missions. Uh, I have a pet peeve that I, I just want to confess to you with missions. I, I, I used to say it too. Again, I, I've learned from my days. Remember, you go to missions team meetings and they come back and they go, we're taking Jesus there. We brought Jesus there. I literally went to a village in Costa Mesa that literally never heard of Jesus. We walked seven hours, no, drove seven hours, walked two hours into this mountain, and they literally never heard Jesus. I was like, what? And so I said, we took Jesus there. Here's what we know about God. He's already there. The God who created this universe and who's 50 billion light years away, and he's over there and here at the same time. Do you think he can't be in a little jungle of Costa Rica? Why does that make us feel good? God is already there working in the hearts of the people. Who and what made the Ethiopian read the Bible? We don't know, but what's the chance that he's reading the Bible, Isaiah 53, verse 7 and 8, and Philip comes. Who's orchestrating all this? The missions committee. The pastor, who's orchestrating this eternal pivotal road for this Ethiopian, who is the head treasurer of Ethiopia? What's his name? The great I am, God. He's already there. First, God takes the initiative. God is already there. He's joining in with the Ethiopian. And all God is asking us is, you want to join the party? He's asking us that today. You want to impact the world? All, I'm do, all you need to do is receive this invitation. Do you want to join in this party? So Philip talks, and then he shares about, oh my goodness, that verse? I know him. I know him. He's Jesus. And let me share with you what 53 says. He was pierced for our iniquities. He was crushed for our sins. And the, and the pain, the debt that was upon us was upon him, and by his wounds, we are healed, and he shares the gospel. God had to do something about sin. You couldn't pay it. Jesus did. He took your price, and he died and rose again. And so Philip shares this thing for hours, and they get to a, a water place, and then the Ethiopian is so convicted. He's like, why did I never hear this before? He says, why should I not be baptized? Who's orchestrating all this? God. Philip is simply obeying. God is inviting Philip into this party. Um, Mark Sayers, the one who wrote that, has this one line in there. One of the great mysteries of faith is that God chooses us to partner with him in making creation, which is very good, perfect. In other words, this is a mystery. Can you raise your hand if you think God desperately needs you. Without you, he can't do anything. No, he doesn't need us. That's why it's a mystery. He doesn't need us, but what does he do? He chooses still to invite us. 
That's the mystery. Why, God, do you need a little punk like me? He doesn't. But he chooses to. And he's inviting the church into his work. So whenever you're like, I don't know what I'm good. I'm just, I'm tired. I don't know. I don't know anything. I don't know that. Let the professionals do it. God is saying, I don't have to. I want to. And he's inviting you to do his work with him. So God's purpose is to bring this good news. And lastly, in this chapter 8 of Acts, there's two things going on that I, I, I didn't know this until Bible study this Wednesday. That gets me so excited. One is, Ethiopian, what do they look like? And I'm not trying to be funny. They're dark-skinned. They're from Africa. Now, to you, you're like, yeah. But to this time, do you know how radical that is? Did you ever see in the Bible where Jews was famously known for including other Gentiles, especially Africans? No. Because Jews believed we are the chosen people. But what's going on here is you see God shattering all boundaries of class, race, gender, through the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, this door opens up the door for us to look around and say, who does this church belong to? All people. And so when he reaches out to the Ethiopian, God is saying, Philip, I'm opening the door even wider. And here's the exciting part. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus says, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit so you will be my witnesses where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Now here's the cool part. We know Jerusalem and Judea are covered. Verse, right before today's reading, verse 25, uh, it says this. Right before today's story, after they, the disciples, proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, because they were already there, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. They were going to Samaria. So Ju Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, what's missing? What's the last piece? The ends of the world. Now here's what's so exciting about this. And I, I had to read a commentary. Athanasius was an old, long-time early Christian. And he writes that Ethiopia is, is Cush. And you know the nickname for Ethiopia was? The northern part of Egypt. You know what the nickname that the Jews had for that area? The end of the world. Through this one Ethiopian that Philip heeded God's invitation to go out to meet, literally, God penetrated to the ends of the world, to a whole kingdom that they never traveled to. And so when we talk about quantity versus quality, if you go to me and say, hey, Pastor Jason, last year we baptized one person, it sounds like, eh. But this one person was a head treasurer of this empire of Ethiopia, which is the northern kingdom of Egypt. Wow. How amazing is God? That God took the gospel to a whole new end of the earth through one obedience of disciple and one official. What does this have to do with you guys? God doesn't need you to do incredible work for him. 
I have three take-homes and we're, we're almost done. These are the, this is what God requires of us. And I look at Philip. Ready? Here's the first thing we need. We need to be more than Christians. What do you mean by that? In America, according to 2014, 70% of us in America say we're Christians. We need more than Christians because we have a lot of horizontal Christians. We need vertical Christians. And vertical Christians, by that, the author, I love this. He says, Can you, we need to be not just Christian people. We need to be holy people. We need a, to be a people pursuing holiness of God. You know what holiness means? You see that table up there? In Christian church, we don't call it an altar. We call it a communion table. Do you know why we don't call it an altar? We don't need to make sacrifices to God to pay for our sins anymore because a sacrifice was made and his name is Jesus. There is one altar left though and it's your altar that holy people lay themselves down and die on their altar to give themselves wholly to God. I am not my own. I am fully yours. God, what is your will? God wants holy people. H-O-L-Y and I think W-H-O-L-L-Y. And so this is the beginning of it. Are we willing to say, God, wherever you go, send me. Because can you imagine Philip, if he thought horizontally, go down to the road. He'll be like, I'm not going to make it back in time for dinner, God. (laughs) It's a desert road. But Philip had a vertical perspective. And he said, God, your will be done. Holy people say, God, your will be done. Horizontal people, God says, your will be done. We have to live for that. Two, just simply this. We have to be obedient people. Live in obedience. Nothing performance, nothing great to seek obedience. All Philip had to do was listen, go, yes. <laughs> Jesus tells a story, two sons. One son, they were both told, can you do this? And one son said, nope. And the other one said, yes. The one that said yes ended up not doing it. The son that said, no, I will not do it. It's like, all right, he did it. And Jesus asked, which one was obedient? The one who did it. Philip had to listen to know what God is asking of him and simply do it. This is what vertical people do. It's not what you know. It's not what you do like routine. It's what is God asking of you? And are you willing to say yes? If God asks you, can you do one thing for me just as a friend? Simple as this. Say yes, Lord. Speak. Your servant is listening. And I won't obey. Lastly, be vertical people. Vertical people simply means my eyes are fixed on God and his purposes, not on my agenda. God, even if I am poor, broke, if this is where you want me to be, even if I am not comfortable, let me do it for your glory. Vertical people fix their attitude and agenda on what is God calling you to do and be, not what you desire, not hedging. And so Dallas Willard a famous spiritual formation pastor, he ends with this quote, the real question I think is whether God would establish people who just take the Jesus card, heaven. It is we who are in danger, in danger of missing the fullness of life offered to us. 
Can we seriously believe that God would establish a plan for us that essentially bypasses the awesome needs of the present human life and leaves human character untouched? He goes on, can we believe that the essence of Christian faith and salvation covers nothing but death and after? Can we believe that being saved really has nothing whatever to do with the kinds of persons we are? In other words, do we really believe that all that's expected of us is just to enjoy being saved and live the life our way? Is that all there is? Just heaven and hell? Dallas Witter is saying, I don't see that. And so what does that mean? Why are we not in heaven right now? Because through you and me, friends, the kingdom of God can be revealed and we impact the world by the daily obediences of saying, God, I am your servant and I want to say yes. Um, Let me end with this short video. It's two minutes. But this video is kind of where we've been going. Um, and before we play it, it's just a cool picture. I like, I'm not that intelligent. I, I like cartoons. And I like this cartoon because it just simply captures this is what it looks like to be a church in 21st century that lives with the mind of God. Mission work is everywhere around me. I want to impact it for your namesake. This is the missional church. Simple. In the past, churches have spent large amounts of resources to construct the most attractive places imaginable for the community in which they were situated. Great music, compelling teaching, and a host of programs designed to gather people together were the staple of such church communities. Anyone who wanted to come was welcome, and church members were encouraged to invite their friends and neighbors. Generally, people had a pleasant experience. The people who came and were cared for seemed relatively similar. Education, income, pastimes, race, struggles, and histories seemed to be almost identical. Eventually, someone asked the question, what about all the people who aren't like us, but who live around us? Why aren't they here too? In response, the church increased its marketing budget, direct mailing the community, taking out ads in local papers, buying radio time, releasing a fresh webpage, and offering to host the world's greatest event. The church was determined to be the center of everything great that happened in the community. Church members began to rely on the church to do the work of conveying God's story in the world. If someone could be brought to an event, they could hear about Jesus from a professional teacher. Inviting people became synonymous with evangelism. The missional church, on the other hand, empowers its members to be the church in the community. The church trains, resources, encourages, and challenges its people to live out the good news in their community with those who would otherwise be suspicious of a church and its marketing efforts. The church sends out its members to live among people unfamiliar with church customs, songs, and what it holds sacred, just like a foreign missionary. The missional church recognizes then that every believer embodies the life of the church in their neighborhood, in their school, or at their place of work, each one of them telling God's story in the context of compassionate and genuine relationships. Next slide. Tom Rainer, he wrote a book, and I'll end with this quote. It's the book called Autopsy of a Deceased Church. He surveyed all these churches that died and did an autopsy. What, what made them die? And this is one quote that I think should wake us up to why we need to be a church that focuses on God's work out there. And he says this, thriving churches have the great mission, commission, 
as a centerpiece of their vision, while dying churches have forgotten the clear command of Christ. When the church forgets that God is a God of mission, they die, plain and simple. So we don't impact the world because we're nice. We impact the world because that's what God saved us for, a life that is true to what you and I have been created to be. God is inviting us. May you listen, may you hear, and may you say yes. And may we be a church that is a church out there, not just a church in here. Amen.